Um, I want to start out by, by reading a verse, and I'm not going to tell you where it's from. So I just want to read this passage to you. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Does anybody know where that passage is found? Man, all right, well done. Who didn't have a clue? That'll make me feel better. You can... Okay, and the rest of you just see none of the above. Um, that's fine too. Uh, when, when I uh, was, was studying God's faithfulness, I came across this passage. And I, I was like, this is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on this verse. And so one of, one of the things I try to do whenever I, I read a passage of Scripture and I, and I want to expound on it, you know, and really say what it's talking about, is, well, if it's only a five-chapter book. I'm just going to sit down and, and read the book of Lamentation. You know, it'll take 20, 30 minutes. I read Lamentation. You guys remember um, Sesame Street, one of these things just doesn't belong here? I couldn't, I couldn't figure out why this verse ended up in the book of Lamentation. The word lamentation comes from the word lament, which means an expression of grief and agony and suffering. And in the middle of this grief and agony and suffering, we have this passage, the steadfast Love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Now, this passage of Scripture is one that is really easy to swallow when life is good. Okay? So when your job's going well, when you just got that promotion, when you're you're healthy and your loved ones are healthy, when the economy's on the rise and your portfolio is doing well and your house has increased in value. Um, this is a great verse. You're reading your, your Bible study in the morning, you're sipping your coffee, and you just, mm-hmm, amen, hallelujah, this is true. But, but I got to tell you that there are times in life where this verse is hard to swallow. If anybody's ever been through suffering, sometimes this passage doesn't feel true. If you've experienced a tremendous amount of hardship in your life, this verse may not seem true. In the last two weeks, I just want to share a couple quick stories with you of, of things that have happened to people I know. Not, this hasn't happened to me, but to people I know. Two weeks ago today, I was preparing a message very similar to this one for our church, um, Jefferson Avenue. And I got up early, and, and I'm, I'm going through my notes, and my, my phone goes off, and it's my good friend, and his wife of 38 years had passed away that morning. Un, I want to say unexpectedly. It wasn't unexpectedly, but they weren't planning on it to happen right then. And I, I packed up my stuff, and I ran to the nursing home, and, uh, and I sat with him. So he had been married to his wife for 38 years, and for the last... Seven to ten years, she had been battling with a terrible condition. 
She had several strokes. She wasn't herself. She was beginning to lose her, um, her mind in, in the sense of she was suffering with some dementia. And her husband and I had become very good friends over the last three years. And he'd sat in my office and he had asked me, why is God letting this happen? Where is God in my wife's suffering? He was a missionary. He and his wife were missionaries to Hungary. And they had to come back to the States before they were ready to retire because her health just couldn't let them serve. Why would God allow them to go through this kind of suffering, pull them off the field where they couldn't do what they loved to do, where he was losing his wife in her mind before her body went? Why would God let this happen? Just last Thursday, just a couple days ago, I, uh, I went to visit another friend of mine. She's 88 years old. She lost her husband a few years ago. She's had one knee replaced, but somehow recently she's broken a bone in her, her knee, on her other knee. Her, her good knee is now her bad knee. And, uh, and she was in tremendous pain, tremendous pain. And, and this is a woman who knows pain from back problems and heart problems, from the loss of her husband. And in this pain, she asks me, why would God let this pain happen? I have a friend who's about my age who is a, a high lineman. He, he does those electrical lines that are really, really, really tall. Uh, he and his crew were, were in a helicopter accident two weeks ago, and it killed his coworker. And his arm got caught, they think, up in the, in the prop. And uh, they think they're going to be able to save the arm, but his arm's never going to be the same. He could very well lose his livelihood. And he told me last week on the phone that he was starting to lose heart. When, when suffering is real in our lives, when it's not something that we can just push off to the side that somebody else is going through, sometimes this verse can be hard to swallow. It can be hard to see that his love is steadfast. You can wonder where those mercies are for you. And that God is faithful to some, but maybe he's not faithful to me. I know he's someone's portion, but lately he hasn't been mine. And so I'm not sure where my hope is. The way I, I like to do Bible study is I like to set the setting. I want to unpack the book of Lamentation so that this verse can begin to make sense. You see, the, the book of Lamentation was written as the kingdom of Judah was falling apart. So the northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen to the Assyrians in around 586 B.C. Now the Babylonians were on the doorstep of Jerusalem and the city was under siege and there was famine in the land and people were dying. To this point, there had been uh, three different situations where many people had been pulled out of Jerusalem and sent off to exile in Babylon. The Babylonians showed up, I believe, the first time sometime around uh, 605 B.C., and they took this first wave off. Then again, they came in, in 597 B.C., and they took a second wave off, and again they came in 586, and this time the king of Babylon had had enough. And the plan was to raise the city to the ground. There was famine and suffering. And people were starving. 
And this verse comes out in the middle of that. Now, the book of Lamentation has an interesting structure, and the structure helps us understand the point of this passage. So it's, it's a collection of five poems, five poems. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 are two different poems, each one 22 verses long. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 are two more poems, each 22 verses long. And then right in the middle is chapter 3, 66 verses long. Now, if you read through the book of Lamentation, you can see in chapter 1 that things are bad in the city of Jerusalem. Then if you read chapter 2, you things are really, really bad in Jerusalem. As you start to read chapter 3, you get into the beginning of chapter 3, the author, who is believed to be Jeremiah, is, is feeling betrayed by God. I'll read a passage from that in just a moment. Then we come to this verse right here about God's faithfulness in the middle of chapter 3. And then you read chapter 4, and things are really bad. And then you read chapter 5, and things are bad. You see, the structure of this book is set up like this, that the first two chapters, you're ascending to the climax up one side of the mountain. Chapter 3 serves as the climax, and the focal point, and the point of the book. And then you come back down the other two chapters, and what happens is you end where you began. The suffering's not over. See, we love our fairy tales. I saw uh, Sleeping Beauty for the first time this weekend with my daughters. We love a happy ending. But when you read the book of Lamentation, there is no such thing as a happy ending. It starts sad, it gets worse, and it ends sad. But right in the middle of all that, we have our passage today. We have the passage declaring God's faithfulness. We see how He is new every morning. I want to read just a, a little passage from you from uh, chapter 3. We're just going to read verses 10 and 12 this morning. We don't have time to read more. I want you to see how the author of Lamentation felt in chapter 3 as we get toward the top of the mountain. We're going to pick up in verse 10. And the author here, the he is God. So he, God, is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set as a target and set me as a target for his arrow. Now, I want you to think about how bad the author of Lamentation is feeling. He says that God is literally waiting to pounce on him, that he is hiding, waiting for him to come around the corner so that he could tear him to pieces. He says that he has drawn his bow and aimed his arrow at him. Now, whenever I think of this passage, I think of my friend who sat in my office and talked to me about his wife, talked about coming off the mission field, and just could not understand why God would allow something like this to happen to him. Now, I don't know if any of you all have been through suffering. I think some of us can shoulder our own suffering, but when we experience the suffering of someone we love, that is tough. Especially parents, have you ever experienced the suffering 
of a child. There's nothing quite like going through the suffering of a child. I watched my daughter nearly pass away when she was only a couple of weeks old. And let me tell you, there is no more hopeless feeling than crying out to the Lord, I know we will be okay, but I don't want this to be my story. And in the middle of this, when things can't get any worse, I want you to understand that, that in Lamentation chapter 2 and in Lamentation chapter 4, things are so bad in the city of Jerusalem. The famine is so severe that mothers are literally, and I'm not trying to be gross here, I just want you to understand how bad it is. Mothers are literally cooking their children to feed their families. So if we think we've known suffering, dare I say that the city of Jerusalem in 586 probably knew more. And in the middle of that, the author of Lamentation is at his end. We're going to pick up in verse 13 and just read a few verses. It says, so, all right, he's drawn his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the objection, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. And then comes verse 19. Remember my affliction. And my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope. In him. I want to read all the way through verse 42, but we just don't have time today. I love this passage because in the middle of everything, the writer finds hope. He sees the Lord's steadfast love never come to an end. He declares that God is faithful. He sees that the Lord is called good. In verse 31, it says, the Lord will not cast them off forever. So as they are under the oppression of the Babylonians, he knows that God will have his vengeance, that there will be peace made, that God has not forgotten them. But verse 42 is rough. Verse 42 says, we have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. I want to unpack that for a little second here. When it says they are not forgiven, it does not mean that their sins are not forgiven. What it's meaning is judgment is not going to stop. The consequences of their decisions are not going to end. The destruction of Jerusalem is going to happen. And then we see that unfold as we read chapter 4 and we read chapter 5, that the destruction continues. The thing that I love about the book of Lamentation is this, that God's steadfast love does not change simply because our circumstances change. 
His faithfulness does not change simply because our circumstances change. But when we begin to see God's faithfulness, when we sing that song that we choose to see how God is active, when we make that choice to see His faithfulness, then something happens where our eyes are uncovered and we can begin to see how God was at work the whole time. We can begin to see how despite our suffering, despite all that we've experienced, despite all this negativity, God never stopped working. I want to just share with you a little bit of what goes on. So uh, there was a king, a righteous king. His name was Josiah. Josiah was the last good king. From the death of Josiah in about 609 uh, B.C. to 586, is around 23 years, in this 23-year period, Things are steadily getting worse in the land of Judah. But while things are steadily getting worse, God is active. You see, in 605, somewhere around that time, the prophet Habakkuk gives his prophecy that Babylon will fall. So about the time the Babylonians show up on the scene and perhaps take the first uh, group of exiles out of Jerusalem, Habakkuk is already through the inspiration of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming Babylon's fall. And that first uh, group of exiles was probably Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they get carried off to Babylon. And meanwhile, while all this awfulness is taking place in Jerusalem, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who will not bow knee to a pagan god and who are thrown in the fire and who is with them but an angel of the Lord, and they are preserved and protected. And God is faithful despite the suffering of His people. It's in the middle of all this that that God raises up the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel begins to prophesy of the hope of the future. He prophesies to the exile the famous prophecy of the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter 37. And he says to God's people, These bones are going to come back to life and they are going to retake the land. He's promising hope that the exiles will return. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we have the famous prophecy of God taking out their stony hearts and putting in a heart of flesh and that he's going to give them his spirit. And what will that spirit help them do? That spirit will help them obey. And why are the people of God under judgment? Because they had disobeyed over and over and over again. And what does God promise in the middle of all this destruction? But that His people will have His Spirit. It's in the middle of all this that we get Jeremiah chapter 31 and the new covenant. Jeremiah, likely the guy who wrote Lamentations, is the one who proclaimed through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God is going to make a new covenant. And he also goes on to say in that that same passage in Jeremiah 31 that he will put his word in their heart so that they don't need a teacher anymore. And what's going on in that passage is, again, it's the same thing that we saw in Ezekiel, that God is promising his spirit that he will enable them to obey. You see, in the middle of all this suffering, in the middle of everything that is going wrong, When you can recognize God's faithfulness, when you can begin to see His steadfast love, these blinders come off and your eyes are open to see how God is working through each and every situation, how He is in control, even when it seems like He's not in control. When things seem 
beyond our comprehension. When things seem like they can't get any worse. When we take a step back in Scripture. And we don't just read Lamentation chapter 3 in a vacuum. But we understand all that's going on in history around this book. We can begin to see that this story is not merely the story of judgment on the city of Jerusalem and the people of Judah. But this is the story of hope. And how God is at work despite the suffering of his people. He cares. He is a God who redeems suffering. There's a a famous passage, one that's often quoted out of context and used to promote uh, a prosperity gospel, this idea that if you follow God, then you'll be rich and no suffering will ever come to you and it'll be awesome. You guys probably know that verse. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you know the context of this verse? It is not a promise of prosperity and riches. This is a promise of hope for the hopeless. This verse comes right out of this setting right now where the people of God were experiencing suffering like they never knew. And God says, I just want you to imagine this. Things are so rough that your family members have been carted off into exile. People you know and love are dying. The temple of the Lord is on fire. And he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil. You know they've got to be saying, I don't believe you. What do you mean, no plans not to harm us? Are you looking around? But through the promises of Lamentation chapter 3, if they can stop and see God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, their blinders can come off and they can begin to see how God was at work the whole time. You see, he is a God who redeems suffering. So in our suffering, we can say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. When I say the Lord redeems suffering, I just want you to think for a quick second about Jesus. And I want you to think about the the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to think about what Jesus prayed that night before he went to the cross, before he was arrested. He said, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Jesus said, I am not excited about the suffering that is laying before me. If there is any other way, God, please don't make me do this. Not my will, but yours be done. And he walks forward in hope in God's steadfast love for him. That God is his portion. And he faces a mock trial that meant nothing. He faces the whip. He faces the cross. He faces the agony and suffering. Why? Because God's plans are not to harm us, but for our welfare and to give us a future and to give us a hope in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you guys a few passages as we close. I want you to understand that in the midst of all this suffering, 
when we get that prophecy from Ezekiel and that prophecy from Jeremiah, we get the proclamation that Jesus is coming and that the Holy Spirit is coming. And because of the power of the cross and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul can say this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How can he do all things through Christ who strengthens him? Because he has learned the art of being content in whatever situation. We like to take that verse and slap it on a t-shirt and say, I can do whatever. But you know what that verse is really about? Just like Jeremiah 29, 11, it is about hope in the midst of suffering. It is about persevering in the midst of trials. It's not about, I don't know if you guys remember the power team, it's not about breaking concrete or two-by-fours or ripping phone books. That's not what I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is about. It is about enduring. It is about patiently waiting. It is about experiencing the grace of God in the midst of our pain. It is because of the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. But he, God, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How can Paul say that? You see, in the midst of his suffering, who does he need more than anything else? He needs the power of the Spirit in his life. He needs to cling to that gospel truth and that gospel hope. So in the midst of his weakness, Christ is strong. And it is Christ's strength that endures. It is not his own. How can he say this if he's not made weak? You see, suffering is redeemable. God can work and show his strength in the middle of our hardship. I want to end with this. It's because of God's power that comes from the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that Paul can say this in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and following. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as, <clears throat> for as we ought. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. I want you to think about that verse 28. When we don't know what to pray, when we don't know what to say, when we don't know what to do, His Spirit is interceding for us, that God may work out for us what is to our good in the midst of whatever situation we may face. There is hope in the midst of suffering. Our suffering may not end. It may continue. I'm going I'm to be honest with you. There's no promise in Scripture that your suffering will end in this life. The promise is that your suffering will end. But it might be in the next life. 
The promise that we have from the Lord is that He is enough. The promise that we have from the Lord is that His strength will help us through. The promise that we have is that we can endure because of what He did. Bearing the cross, scorning its shame on our behalf. That is what we have in the power of the gospel. Here we live in America. We sit in our cushy chairs with our air conditioning. And I think through the suffering that the saints who have gone before us have known. And I can't help but think that someday, maybe even in our lifetime or in our children's or grandchildren's lifetime, the tables may turn. And we may know suffering for our faith here in this world. And I I want you to know that His unending, steadfast, faithful love for us is enough to get us through. And that despite the surface level, despite what we experience right, right in front of our faces, God may be at work behind the scenes. And let me tell you that that God receives glory when we endure suffering in His name. I want to read this from Deuteronomy chapter 31. This is when Moses is handing over leadership to Joshua. This word came from the Lord right before they enter the promised land to uh, encounter powerful enemies and have to wage war. Moses says, gives this word of the Lord to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And let me tell you, church, there is no greater testimony to the world than to proclaim to them that as you go through suffering, God has not left you or forsaken you. That you can show them how he is right there by your side. And that you do not measure his blessings on earthly circumstances but that you measure his blessings on the condition of your soul and that you have been forgiven by the grace of Jesus. And because of that grace, because of the love that we know, we can bear all things and consider this life worthless for the sake of knowing Christ. Would you all pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. We thank you, Lord, how you have You are no stranger to suffering. You redeem our suffering and you suffer alongside us. And so we are not alone. Lord, I pray that in those moments when we doubt, in those moments where we feel like you are a bear and a lion, that you have your drawbone against us, that we would remember your faithfulness, your steadfast love, and your mercies that are new every morning. Give us eyes to see that your plan is not to harm us, but to give us a future and a hope. That that hope may not be in this world, but that hope is in you and the forgiveness of our sins through Christ Jesus. We thank you for that. It is in your name we pray. Amen.